This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're your staff writers for 24-7 Sports, the Florida site, Swamp247.com. We're here to break down Florida's loss to Georgia over the weekend. Obviously a tough loss for the Gators. Blake, uh, let's go ahead and dive right into it. What, what for you is the biggest factor in this loss, I guess? You know, I think it was just a slow first half. You know, offensively, I don't think Florida really even got into the red zone until late into the game anyways. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think the first half for them was kind of damning just because it, it just seemed like Florida just couldn't really get much going offensively. Um, you know, I think defensively, um, it, it just kind of seemed like they wore down after a while. Obviously third down was really the, the number of the game, but I, I, you know, I think that it was kind of a slow first half offensively where, you know, we, we haven't really seen that from Florida, you know, in, in quite some time where, you know, it's just kind of a stagnant game. Um, you know, I, I thought that was a little bit more surprising to me than, you know, their uh, third down has kind of been a, a little bit of a number that has kind of plagued Florida somewhat. Obviously, I think it was a little bit more in this game, but I thought more surprising to me was just that it was just so slow offensively for Florida in the first half. Yeah, it was weird. It, you know, it did seem like Florida kind of came out almost flat um, for a rivalry game. You know, we've we've seen this game in the past uh, players getting into it before the game. I remember there was one year, you know, Jeff Dillman almost got in a fight with some Georgia players. Uh, I don't know that I ever sensed that kind of energy in the stadium from the, from the Florida sideline, you know, Georgia players, I remember them running out onto the field at the beginning of the game and they're, you know, they're waving to the crowd, trying to get them amped for whatever reason, Florida just seemed to come out a little bit flat. And I thought that was really, really surprising coming off a of bye week. You had everything in front of you. You know, the sec East was on the line. I was a little taken aback by that. And I think you're right. I think that, um, the way things went offensively early on, I think especially kind of just put Florida behind the eight ball and it felt like Florida never really kind of clawed back in to feel comfortable. I mean, the Florida team we're used to seeing, we saw in the fourth quarter, I thought, um, at least in terms of the offense, you know, Kyle Trask in, in those last couple drives, end of the third quarter, you know, beginning of the fourth quarter, I thought that was the Florida offense we were used to seeing. They went out and they executed a little bit better. We never saw the defense get on that page and, um, I know a lot of people are going to point to the third down numbers on defense and all that. Bottom line, Florida's offense, their inability to stay on the field early in this game, to me, was just as costly as some of the third down problems because what happened was Florida's defense was out there for a long, long time. You know, in the first 42 minutes of this game, Florida's offense only ran 26 plays. Um, so I, there was a lot that went wrong in this game, and I think it started even on that first offensive drive for Florida. I thought the defense came out and played pretty well initially. You know, they really came out, and they I thought they stopped the run pretty well against Georgia. You know, Georgia, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of points in the first quarter, even in the first half. Um, but Florida's offense, that first offensive drive kind of stalled out with, you know, what I thought was a questionable fourth down call. 
And then from there, it just seemed like Florida never really got into sync. Yeah, I think the lack of a run game, or at least a consistent run mm-hmm. game, really showed too. Just because, you know, you have a you know a fourth down play, um, you know, I think it was fourth and one, fourth and a couple inches, and, and you kind of throw. It seemed like a forced pass, and it just seemed like, it, 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 even from start to finish, it just seemed like Florida really played a, to Georgia's game. That there was never a chance we saw. You know, Florida's you know kind of getting this going their way. There's some momentum shift. You know, there's this, there's that. It just seemed like from start to finish. It was it was Georgia's game. They just never seemed like it just never seemed in question that Georgia wasn't in control. Yeah, and you know, I, I do wonder a little bit. You know, Dan Mullen talked about doing some self scouting over the bye week. Obviously, that's a chance when you get to look at some of your own tendencies and and kind of see, you know, what opponents probably think you're gonna do and then maybe go off tendency. This was a weird game for Dan Mullen in terms of how it was called, in terms of like we talked about, the execution was just sloppy. They burned two timeouts on the first drive. I, I do wonder a little bit if Florida went back during the bye week and looked at some tendencies, and that's why you saw some of these weird decisions. Uh, like again, you mentioned the fourth down call. To me, man, you've got a six foot five, two hundred thirty nine pound quarterback. Just line him up under center and and, and right. lean him forward. Um, so I, I do think Dan Mullen. You know, Dan Mullen's always been a very aggressive head coach, and I think a lot of times that leads to him maybe going off tendency and, and looking for, you know, these things that maybe the, the defense won't expect. I thought the fourth down call was a perfect example of that. Um, I, I just thought maybe, you know, I hate to use the term too cute, but maybe just got in his own head and thought about it a little too much. And look, credit the credit to Georgia safety. He made a terrific play on that throw to Kyle Pitts. Um, but it's not the easiest route, you know, fourth and, run, fourth and one and you're running an out route. I just thought after that series, Florida really, really was out of sync for the entire first half and really even – the first part of the third quarter. And, and you mentioned it, I, you know, Florida didn't feel like it could rely on its run game. And that's, that's been a, a consistent theme this year, but for the most part, even when Florida hasn't felt comfortable with the run game, Dan Mullen's been able to be patient and continue pounding away at it. This was a game where they couldn't do that. And for whatever reason, you know, Dan Mullen told us after the game in the post game press conference that they didn't feel like they were going to be able to run the ball consistently against this Georgia front. And so they went pass heavy and I think when they did that, you know, you you lost the sense of balance. You weren't able to string together a couple first first down drives. And so what ended up happening is you, you've got an offense going late into the game when you're behind that hasn't even had a chance to set up any of the plays that it would like to get to, you know, deeper down the play sheet in the third and fourth quarter. I mean, you, when you've run 26 plays through basically three quarters, you know, not only is Georgia's defense very fresh, but you haven't had a chance to set them up for anything. And I thought that really played into it. Um, and I think Blake would really, I guess I'm trying to say is I think Georgia forced Florida to play the way that Georgia wanted to play. And Florida was never comfortable as a result. Yeah, I would agree with that. It just never seemed like Florida was really on the same page as a unit throughout the game. And, you know, there were there were some interesting calls. I know you mentioned, um, you know, the four, we, we talked about the fourth down run. There was just it just seemed like they were kind of out of whack. You know, you like you said, why not run your big six foot five quarterback or you know, why not throw in Emory Jones you know, and then do some runs in there? Mm-hmm. I thought it was a little strange to not have Emory Jones in that type of situation, but then you throw him in down whenever you're kind of driving after Kyle, uh, Kyle Trask has made two big throws. I think there was one to Swain. Um, you know, he was, he was kind of eating up the field with some throws, and you take him out when he was hot, and you throw in, in Emory Jones. There were just little ga- little decisions in the game that I just never seemed like Florida was really, you know, quite there. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Emory because I actually wanted to talk about him. And uh, we talked a little bit, I guess, before the podcast kind of, 
you know, outlining our ideas for this show. And, and one of the things I didn't have on there was Emory Jones. Um, but I think it's worth talking about because I think particularly with the way Florida's run game's gone this year, I think it's worth exploring what Jones can do, you know, and I think it's hard to do late in the season, you know, when you've only got three games left, but I really do think at this point, if you're going to use Emory Jones, which Dan Mullen seems at least insistent on doing, you know, because like you said, they threw him in there at a key spot in the game and the offense was really rolling. So I think one, they trust him. And two, I think that they, for whatever reason they want to play him, whether that's, they want to keep Jones engaged so he doesn't transfer Whatever the case may be, they clearly want to play him. I think they've got to start thinking about how to do that in a more productive manner because this is not the only game where Jones has come in in a spot where really it just didn't seem to make sense within the flow of the game. You look back at that LSU game, uh, you know, Kyle Trask had just led a scoring drive, and then, uh, you know, it was at a point in the game where you felt like momentum was on the line, and all of a sudden Dan Mullen throws Emory Jones in there, uh, to run a full series and and they go three and out. And then all of a sudden you feel like you didn't have the momentum again, this Georgia, you know, this Georgia game, that was another one where it's just like, you felt like you had some momentum, you throw Emory Jones in there and then you you end up, you know, the drive stalls. So Blake, if you're going to use Emory Jones, I guess my question to you is what does that look like for you? What would be a productive use for me? It would have to be using him in the run game. You know, if not, Every down run, you know, you could, like you said, get kind of cute there and throw some, you know, trick pass plays or, you know, some kind of way to throw the to defense off, whether it's a play action, whether it's, you know, a fake run pass or something. But I think predominantly with how Florida has struggled with the run game and, and you know, kind of banging it between the tackles and the offensive line um, has been a little suspect there. I think you have to throw in some Emory Jones runs and kind of mix things up. And that's not to say that the defense isn't going to see Emory run out there and expect, man, he's going to run it because that's probably their first thought. Right. But I, I did see that against LSU where more than less you thought he was going to run it, but he still had some success there. He's just mm-hmm. electric playmaker. Um, I, I think if anything – when you have Kyle Trask having the success he's had, you can't take him out of games. He's just been that effective for them. But I also think that it, with how your run game is struggling, you need to try options. And I think that Emory Jones can be a successful option there. I think he did enough. He at least showed enough of that in the LSU game with a defense like that and in an environment like that that he was successful. So I th- thought that you know getting some more looks there, you know, it could kind of at least take some of the pressure off some of these running backs in the offensive line. And who knows, maybe it opens up some doors for them to be successful whenever you have something working in the run game. So I think for me, you know, if you don't throw him in and give him some passes here and there, because he's shown that he's capable enough to run the offense. And like you said, it does seem like they trust him. But I think for me, is where he would be more effective. Well, and that's that's why I'm confused a little bit, because, it, you know, you're not the only one that felt that way coming out of the LSU game. I thought that, you know, the amount of snaps that he played, I want to say he carried it about nine times. Uh, don't quote me on that. But, he, he you know, he did. He got that. a lot more involved. And coming out of that game, you know, Dan Mullen's talking about how, you know, because we're, we're asking about it, uh, you know, from a media standpoint about how that kind of came about. And he's talking about how, you know, he told Emery he can be the the Tim Tebow to Kyle Trask's Chris Leak. And all of a sudden, you know, we're starting to think, OK, that that worked against LSU. If it worked against LSU, it should work against a lot of people. And, you know, maybe Florida can draw some different looks up and and really get him involved in that zone read game. And then all of a sudden, the last two games, he comes in and he only takes one snap and both times it's like at weird points in the game. So I do think Florida needs to decide whether or not they're going to use Emory Jones. And if you're going to use him, you got to get him in there for a substantial amount of plays. For me, that's probably like 10 to 12 plays a game where, yeah, you run. And, and you know, you build an occasional throw off that. But for the most part, you're forcing the defense to step up and, and, and defend the run. Um, 
that was one of the another one of those weird kind of just I don't know, man. I don't I don't know. I did I didn't like that. And uh like the fourth and one call, it just Florida never seemed in sync. But uh but Blake, there was there was more to that game, obviously, than a couple a couple calls. And I don't I don't mean to make this this episode of the podcast a uh a critique of Dan Mullen because I think he's done a tremendous job with Florida so far. And I think the fact that Florida is sitting here still with very much with the potential for 10 wins, um, is a testament to what Dan Mullen and his staff have done. So sure. Especially with all the injuries that they've had too. He's, he's done. I I don't think you could sit there and you can just like blame him for everything. But Hmm. you know, I I think that those were at least for me and and you seem to agree that those, those were some questionable calls there. Absolutely. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get more into Dan, where Dan Mullen is and the program is. I think in the second half of this this episode, um, but I wanted to continue to kind of break down the George game and maybe where some things went wrong. Uh, it seemed very clear to me early on that Georgia had a terrific offensive plan, and I think one of the reasons we felt pretty comfortable in picking Florida to win this game was because we felt like Dan Mullen would have a better plan, I guess, than George did. And look, tip of the tip of the hat to Georgia. I thought Jim Chaney had an excellent offensive plan. Not Jim Chaney, I'm sorry. Uh, James Coley had an excellent offensive plan coming in. I thought Georgia executed it very well. And, you know, right from jump, it was pretty clear that Georgia had some matchups that it wanted to hit, and it was able to take advantage. Man, Lawrence Cager, that that was really the X factor for them coming back. It just seemed like, you know, you have a couple weeks where Jake Fromm just doesn't look – he's not looking like Jake Fromm, and you bring him back in there. And, man, I thought that he was really the the – he he was a problem for Florida in the secondary, and I think that uh, I don't know if it was Terry Dean or Trey Dean, depends on who CBS <laughs> it is, but uh, it did seem that Trey Dean got picked on a little bit there in the start of the game until they uh, eventually made some changes. Yeah, well, that was one of the matchups that Georgia clearly liked. You know, they went at him a lot, and Florida Florida adjusted away from it to their credit. Um, but that is one of the things that another another kind of question for this Florida staff is: there's been a couple personnel moves that seem a little suspect, and, and one of them. I think you can give him a pass for trading at nickel to some degree because I don't know that Florida has a clear other option there. Like at the beginning of the year, trading was the only guy there. You lost John Huggins in fall camp. They were hoping to have him. I think he would be starting right now if he was still around. But there wasn't another guy that was really working there. And, and you know, we, we kind of dug at that a little bit in the preseason. It's like, okay, who's the backup to trading at nickel? And, and the answer was always like, oh, Amari Bernie can play there. Jeremiah Moon can play there. But I think the thinking from Florida staff was very much that Trey's going to come along, and he's going to be a guy we can count on there. And I think now nine games into the season, I think it's pretty clear that that's not that position's not a good fit for him. And so, you know, Florida did eventually go away from that. They brought in Kyrie Elam outside, moved Marco Wilson inside. But that was one of the matchups that Georgia picked on, and they and they were smart to do that. Uh, one of the other things I noticed Georgia early on in the game, uh, anytime they got Jeremiah Moon lined up in man coverage, they went after him, um, and they weren't able to take advantage of that thanks to some good safety play by Florida. Uh, you know. Sean Davis had a near interception on one of the ones where they targeted Moon down the sideline. Juwan Taylor got his hand on one in the end zone. But Georgia just had a good plan. They knew what they wanted to attack, and they went at it. Um, and, you know, like I said, I think you tip your cap to that. I think Florida's defense, in a lot of ways, I didn't like the plan coming in. You know, you look at, like like you said, the, the games where Jake Fromm was a little bit shaky against South Carolina, against Kentucky. Um, South Carolina challenged Georgia's receivers all day physically. And, you know, Georgia fans were upset about that game because they felt like South Carolina got away with a ton of pass interference. You look at what Florida did against Georgia. They didn't play a whole lot of man, you know, press man type coverage at the line where they really challenged the receivers. And really where Jake Fromm thrived was in this kind of uh, picking apart the zone coverage against Florida 
when Florida's pass rush kind of didn't didn't do enough to affect him. Yeah, you know, I definitely think that the zone, um, you know, that that definitely gave him a lot of time. Considering the fact that I don't, I don't know that I expected Florida to come in and have zero sacks in this game. I thought having Zaniga back, Jonathan Grenard back. Granted, they may have not been one hundred percent. I just, I, I, if you would have told me before the game that those guys would have really not affected the game as far as not having sacks and not really getting back there consistently, I probably would have laughed in your face. But obviously, yeah. I think you have to give credit to Georgia's offensive line. I thought that they played extremely well. Yeah, and I think that if you're looking kind of at areas where Florida has to get better, dude, that floor, that Georgia O line was good, man. They were every bit, you know, what they were advertised as, and. That's recruiting, man. Those guys, when you're running off five stars up on the on the offensive line and you start to coach them up, they're going to be good. And we saw that. I think Florida's lack of pass rushers outside of you know Grenard and Zaniga really hurt them. Um, that's not necessarily the way Florida's defense is built. They're not built to have a bunch of D tackles that really get in there and affect the passer. But it was pretty clear that Jake Fromm was very comfortable. And and I think you know Florida's safety play got exposed a little bit in terms of the communication that we talked about in some of these zone coverages. Um, but look, there, there's a lot that I think Florida can draw off on this game and improve on. You know, we talked about Dean at nickel. I think the Gators are starting to find out that he's not the answer there. And I would expect them to continue to adjust Blake. One other, one other thing that jumped out at me was Chris Bleich, uh, versus Richard Guraj. I really felt like Richard Guraj was going to end up starting this game. I thought he played tremendous against South Carolina. And I, to me, it, Starting Chris Bleich was a little bit of a mistake. He had some he had some key faults in the first couple drives, and those first three drives you come up empty on a on a fourth fourth and one, and then you go four and out and three and out, and that I thought set the tone. And again, that was one area where I'm not sure that you know maybe it's not any different if Richard Gurash starts the game, but I thought we had seen enough that that uh, we wouldn't have seen that. That surprised me a little bit. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I feel like every week we come out here on the podcast and we recap the game. We say that, man, Richard Garage should probably be the guy on the offensive line. And I felt like here we are again, you know, kind of same song and dance. I think that that is probably, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think you can give Trey Dean a pass at nickel. There's not really much uh, options back there. Obviously, you can move some things around, but I don't think that they necessarily want to take Marco Wilson out from outside. I think right. you want they would like to leave him out there in a perfect world. But here we are on the offensive line. I think Richard Garage is a, is a perfectly fine option for Florida to throw in there. They're, they have, I guess, my point is they have somebody, something they can do. They have somebody they can swap right. out, and it's more successful. And, and I think that that's something they probably need to look into permanent time. Um, I was really surprised too that that's how they came out with Critch Blight starting too. I was pretty surprised to see that. Just it seems like every week they kind of throw him out there, and then they have to put Richard Garage in to kind of save the day up front. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll ask Dan Mullen about it. You know, we'll ask John Heavisy about it this week. I, I would expect that would change going forward. I think that they've seen enough at this point, um, but we'll see. Blake, uh, I want to talk more about what this Georgia loss means for the program because a lot of Florida fans were very upset. I think I think there was a feeling that Florida was maybe on the verge of kind of turning the corner and really, really finally establishing itself as back on the national stage. And I think that's why there's been a lot of angst in the fan base coming off this loss. Let's go ahead and dive into that very heavily right after this commercial break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're discussing Florida's weekend loss to Georgia. You know, a loss that probably puts the SEC East in, I would say, at least unlikely territory. You know, Georgia does have three SEC games left, but they'd have to lose two of them. Um Certainly not impossible, but probably the SEC East is out of Florida's hands at this point. Blake, a lot of Florida fans felt like they were going to win this game. I mean, I don't even think that's an exaggeration. I think we thought it. We thought Dan Mullen, I think, would show that he's capable of putting together a great game plan. You know, Georgia came in a little bit shaky. It felt like all this pressure was on Kirby Smart and, and the Bulldogs, you know, going into year four. If they had lost this game and been taken out of the SEC East race, I think there would have been a ton of pressure on Kirby. And so I think I think Florida fans felt like this was it. This was a chance to turn things around and really establish themselves as being back. Now that Florida's lost, Blake, I guess what should the outlook be for Florida big picture-wise? You know, I think big picture-wise, they obviously can still play for a New Year's Six Bowl game. I think, uh, you know— Right now, your focus needs to be not coming out flat against a Vanderbilt team that you're more than likely going to win decisively against. You are at home. Vanderbilt is still Vanderbilt. I I don't care, you know, who they have on the roster or what they do or or anything like that. Florida, I think for now, you need to come out and and not come out stagnant. I think, like we said, I think Florida did come out stagnant somewhat against Georgia. They they really didn't seem to really kind of wake up until about the fourth quarter. Um, So I think for now, the first step is is analyzing what you did wrong and and move on second step come out don't be flat against Vanderbilt and I think the rest of it you know you have to worry about a Missouri team that has seemed to have your number every other year you want to go out strong against them that'll be a road game you want to go out strong at home against your in-state rival of Florida State who just fired their head coach um, you know these things these games you know it's good for recruiting implications because yes you didn't win this big game against Georgia that probably would have opened the floodgates and really kind of put you on the map as far as a recruiting standpoint because I think it would have given Florida that national recognition but they still have a lot left they can play for again, the New Year's Six Bowl. Um, I, I think at this point, you're playing, keeping an eye on how Georgia fares for the rest of the season. But at the same time, you're playing for, you know, your own re- recruiting kind of bragging rights. You know, you come out and you have this New Year's Six game back to back years. Um, you know, these, these are things that recruits are going to keep keying on. And I think that that can kind of help them there. Um, you just have to come out and maybe win in a dominating fashion against a Vandy team this weekend when you have, a, you know, obviously your first home game in quite some time. Yeah, I think the key to me is improvement, you know, and Florida finished last year with 10 wins, including a bowl. And look, they have a chance to do better than that this year. You know, Florida has a chance to go undefeated at home. That's something that Dan Mullen set out as a goal before the season and wants to do every year. Got a chance to do that. 
like you said, I think I think it's really about focusing on just moving forward. And that can be hard after a game like this where, you know, Florida really felt like it was going to win and Florida fans felt like this was going to turn. But look, big picture wise, I hate to use the word perspective, but think back to where we were before the season. And we were looking at this Florida team and we had some questions about the offensive line. We weren't sure about the safeties. Uh, This was a team that clearly had some holes, right? And I think because Dan Mullen had done such a good job coaching around those and winning games without a run game, essentially, with an offensive line that wasn't very good, with a backup quarterback even, uh, I I think we got maybe a hair ahead of ourselves in convincing ourselves that Dan Mullen was a miracle worker. And he's a great coach, I think. I think he's a very good X's and O's coach. I think he's a pretty good in-game coach. You know, struggle Saturday aside, I think that was an atypical game from Dan Mullen. Um, But I think he can get there. I think what we kind of maybe lost sight of in light of Florida's good start and Kyle Trask taking over and looking very good was that this was a team that was never expected necessarily to really compete for the SEC East this year. I mean, people were not picking Florida to upset Georgia. Now, the way Georgia came into this game, you know, off of two shaky weeks, obviously expectations change a little bit. But I think most people looking at where Florida is right now, if you had told them ahead of the season, you're going to be, you know, uh, what is it, 7-2 and two now with a chance to finish out the regular season with 10 wins. Uh, Missouri's not looking nearly as, as daunting as it, it did a couple weeks ago. I think most Florida fans would be pretty happy with that. So Yeah, especially if you would have told them that Felipe Franks would have went down in the earlier part of the season with an injury. If you would have thrown that out there and said, but Florida's going to be 7-2, and two, I think a lot of people would have been a, would have been surprised. Right. Now, I think, I think the thing is, now that Florida felt like it was close and the expectations even within the season got ramped up a little bit, what ends up happening is when you have a game like Georgia that feels so, so disappointing, that feels like, okay, man, there was a lot of areas we're not on their level yet. You know, our offensive line was clearly not anywhere close to theirs, and that was one of the big differences in the game. You know, Georgia's O-line was terrific. Um, you know, Georgia's, Georgia's defense, for, for the lack of a star player, was great across the board, and that's the sign of quality depth. And all that, all that to me points back to recruiting and back to some of these issues that kept us from picking Florida to win the East ahead of the year. Florida's not a deep enough team right now to really, truly be on that elite level. Dan Mullen's a good enough coach that he almost convinced us that he could get there even without the elite recruiting and, and being on that level. And I'm not saying Florida has to recruit exactly at Georgia's level to be competitive, but the Gators have to be better than what they were under Jim McElwain. They have to continue to recruit better than the last class Dan Mullen put together. And I think you're seeing that. But it is important to keep in mind that I think this is going to take a little bit of patience from from Florida fans. It's going to take a little bit of patience to allow Dan Mullen to continue to build. Now, if this isn't Mississippi State. at the same, On the same token, this is not Mississippi State. Dan Mullen doesn't have nine years to build Florida, okay? He's got some confidence from his athletics director. But I know Florida fans. You know Florida fans. They'll tune out on you pretty quick if you don't start to make those strides quickly. So, like you said, the key for Florida, I think, is to finish strong, continue to be able to document that you've shown progress, that you've gone from 10 wins to maybe even 11 wins, you know, that you're not quite there with Georgia yet, but you can sell, look, we're clearly getting better and we're almost there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the thing that has really kind of hurt a lot of older Florida coaches going back to Muschamp, going back to McIlwain, was it seemed like... Florida, I, I, when Florida's winning, the, the program can easily recruit itself. You know, you're in the state of Florida, you're in the SEC, you know, you're good at academic. There, there's a lot of really positive things to sell with Florida. But I think one of the things that really kind of hurt some of these old coaching staffs was 
you never really saw a lot of these guys finish the season strong, whether that's losing to Florida State, whether that's dropping some games near the end of the season. Either way, it, it always felt like, you know, when I'm out there getting ready for Under Armour Week where all these All-Americans are there and I'm asking about Florida, and they're like, eh, you know, not really much to say because as soon as the season ends, or at least we're starting to kind of creep into now, it's, it's pretty much prime recruiting season coming right. up. So winning these games and finishing strong, going out with another, you know, you, you – it may not seem like much, but going from 10 wins to 11 wins is not easy. Um, you know, so I think that the way they can finish strong can really help them on the recruiting trail. You know, it always seems like Florida really kicks the tires on a lot of these guys of, you know, last year it was USC and they capitalized with Chris Steele. This year it looks like FSU, regardless of how bad they looked under Willie Taggart, they still have recruited fairly well. So I think that they're always going to, if they can control and win a lot of games, they can really poach some of these recruiting classes that, you know, maybe these teams are firing their coach or they're underwhelming or whatever. So I think for Florida, having that kind of swagger heading into the end of the season, I think is really big at this point. Um, you know, winning strong, you know, blowing out Florida State, it looks like they can easily do that um, with all the, you know, the negativity going on there. So I think for right now, Florida can easily play for a New Year's six game, which is big. You know, you get your back-to-back ones. Um, but also at the same time, too, you really want to have those bragging rights when recruiting season heats up. And I think that that's what Florida can easily set themselves up with. Yeah, I think that's a great point because, you know, last year after this Georgia game, Florida turned right around and looked like awful against Missouri and lost that game. And I think there was a sense after you choked that one away that Florida wasn't all that close. This is the same, same old Florida, same old Florida. And even though they finished the season strong with those four wins, uh, I think that dropping that game after Georgia really, really hurt. Now, the, the, the good news is Florida's got a week before its toughest game left. You know, Missouri on the road will be a tough game, I think. They play a lot better at home. Uh, Florida's definitely capable of winning that game, should win that game, will be favored to win that game. But that one's not a gimme. I think Vanderbilt right. and Florida State feel like at home, those are going to be – those are wins. And if they're not wins, you've got real problems. Um but I think for Florida, if you can close with those three games, what that does is that allows you the chance to play in a New Year's Six Bowl and really get a win against a quality team where you can sell that. Where you know Florida beat Michigan last year and and it came you know into the offseason with a little bit of momentum. I think Florida's class right now is better than what Dan Mullen had set up last year, and certainly I don't see the kind of you know questionable takes in this class that I did last time. So I think Florida's getting there. It is. It's going to be on these players to not mentally check out when you know you've got three games against teams that aren't as good as you, um, but you still know that you've you've got to go out there and take care of business. And look, there's a lot of seniors on this team. There's a lot of veterans, the receivers, the linebackers. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of veterans on this team, and it would be very easy for them to start checking out and say, hey, you know, we're better than these teams even if we only halfway show up. Um, that's how you get beat. You know, that's what happened in Florida last year against Missouri. That can't happen if Florida wants to continue to take steps. And I think Dan Mullen needs to do whatever he can to ensure that. Um, I think some of the personnel changes we talked about earlier are part of that. But but really, I think Dan Mullen's task the rest of the year is going to be keeping this team mentally locked in during the regular season. You know, Somehow sell them on a New Year's Six Bowl, which I think is going to be harder to do this year than it was last year. Because last year, you know, Florida's coming off a four-win season. It's not hard to sell these guys on, hey, let's go make it to the Peach Bowl and uh, really have a great postseason experience. Let's get to a New Year's Six. This team went to a New Year's Six Bowl last year. So the motivation to convince them that that's the carrot at the end of the stick is going to be much harder to come by. Um, But I think it is, I think it really is incumbent on Dan Mullen and his staff to keep that. You've got to keep the positivity. You missed a big opportunity this weekend against Georgia. It would have really, you know, 
vaulted the, the program into a different light. But at the end of the day, that game's done and over with. And if Dan Mullen wants to continue to build this program, there's only so many opportunities you get when you're in a place like Florida. Again, this is not Mississippi State. You cannot afford to take a step back the rest of the regular season. And I think that's got to be the goal for Florida moving forward. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a tall task because, again, like you said, a lot of these guys are upperclassmen. They can easily start to check out and look towards the draft or look towards, you know, whatever. But at the same time, too, um, you know, you should expect those guys to have bought into the program enough by now that I, I think everyone should expect, at least at least my opinion, you should expect Florida to come out and really bounce back strong against Vanderbilt just with all these veteran guys. I think that I think for the most part, one of the most impressive things that Mullen has done and why he has been successful so far at Florida is the fact that a lot of these guys bought into what he's talking about. And it seems like they all bought in rather quickly. So I think that Florida... Uh, at least I expect just from kind of just looking at what I've seen so far through Mullen being here, I think these guys are going to come back, back and bounce back strong. And I think that right now they still realize that there's still a lot to play for, even though that this was a tough loss. I think that's fair. I think that's fair to say. I mean, I, I really do like the character of a lot of these guys, you know, talking to John Grenard after the game. Uh, he basically put the entire loss on his shoulders, said he didn't do enough to affect Jake Fromm. Those are the kind of guys you want in your locker room. David Reese, you know, David Reese was pissed off after the game. You know, he's he's usually pretty good with the media. He was very short. You could tell he was upset. The you know the question is how quick can those guys put it behind them and rally it into a positive thing where they you know they're they're digging a little bit deeper than they were before, and everybody comes out a little bit more prepared, a little bit more focused, a little bit more ready to keep working Florida towards that upper echelon. But uh, Blake, unless you got anything else, uh, I think that'll do it for us today. No, I'm all set. I'm going to actually uh, leave you guys uh, a little empty-handed this weekend. I'm in a wedding, so I guess I have bad friends who get married during football season. So, uh, unfortunately, I'll be watching this Vandy game from a, from afar. All right, well, if, if Florida does happen to lose that one, we're definitely putting that loss on you. <laughs> no, I'll put it on the groom and the bride. That's fine. I'll give you yeah, guys right, Twitter works, handles, uh, mailing addresses, all that. Don't worry. I'll, I'll make sure to keep uh, relentless effort there. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us today on the Swamp 24-7 podcast. Really quickly, uh, if you haven't heard yet, I mentioned it on the last podcast, but we do have a terrific deal we just signed with CBS and 24-7 Sports. You can get CBS All Access now with your VIP membership to Swamp247.com or 24-7 Sports. And what that means is CBS All Access has tons of original programming and original shows. I know Star Trek is one of the big ones. Uh, They've got a couple of those shows on there. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to pay anything else with your Swamp 24-7 membership. So you'll get all of our VIP content that I post on the site, that Blake posts on the site. You get all that for your same normal price. All you have to do is go and click an activation button, and you'll have access to all of these thousands of shows that CBS All Access has. You'll be able to watch CBS games from your phone on the app. It's an awesome, awesome benefit that we've got for new subscribers. Subscription prices are not going up. So I just want to let you guys know about that. And we will see you guys later in the week to break down Florida Vanderbilt. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.